You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, kids. Miss you. Love you. So good to see your faces right now. Uh, can't wait till we're all back together. But in the meantime, uh, I hope that you know that we're in this house church season right now. Obviously, with everything going on as we transition to meeting again, uh, not only because we don't have a large space to meet in, but we want to be mindful of how we go about it. We want to be safe and honor um, kind of our, our local government, what they want, but we really care about your well-being. And obviously, because we have so many awesome keiki uh, that are young, doing church all together and trying to be safe is difficult. And so we are in this house church season where we do encourage you, if you're comfortable, to follow kind of the safety guidelines we have online. Uh, but I'm hoping that you're in your house right now with others, doing it safely, but but able to have some social interaction, right? And be, be able to pray for one another and worship together and uh, receive the word of God together. And so I hope that you know we're in that and you are partaking in that in a safe way. Any information, uh, where house churches are, kind of how it works, why we're doing it, is all online at realityhonolulu.com under house church right there. Uh, but also, we want to make sure you are aware of kind of some resources and some things we're doing and ways we're communicating when it comes to race and racial injustice and how we can kind of see God's vision and how we're even leading. Uh, part of that ongoing conversation and discussion we had this last Tuesday night. It was called Empathetic Engagement, and about 50 of you came. And I just want to say thank you for those that came and participated in that Zoom-moderated discussion. Discussion. Again, that wasn't just supposed to be a one-time thing where we solve all the problems and, and fix everything, but rather a starting point to engage and learn and listen and understand where each other are at and uh, kind of enter into this together. And uh, we want to do this unified and right, and uh, it isn't a quick fix, but we thank you for those that participated, and we do plan to do more of that, and uh, we want to be a people following the way of Jesus in complex social issues. And does it get messy and sticky and hard? Yes, it does, but we want to do the hard work of following Jesus and not just let it go by, but really to engage the world around us with the love of God. That said, also, uh, this past Wednesday, I put out kind of a pastoral update to give some more understanding of how we're leading and how we feel led as a church. It'd be really helpful for you to watch just to understand uh, kind of our process of engaging social issues with those around us and uh, the injustice we see in the world. And so that'll give you a biblical framework of where we're at. So once again, uh, I just want to point you kind of to our social media channels through that that we put out this past Wednesday. But Without further ado, I want to pick up where we left off last week in the book of Acts. So as always, I'd love for you in your homes right now to grab your Bibles or open your Bible app and join with me in reading God's word where he has us. Uh, Acts chapter 8 verse 4 is where we're going to be. Yes, one single verse. I know last week it was like 
70 verses in three chapters. This today, I feel like we're just going to camp out on this one verse. In context, we're going to see the potency of it. But for context sake, I'd love if we could read kind of the, the couple verses preceding. And so Acts 8, 1 through 4, reading out of the NIV, uh, join with me. This is God's word, and uh, it's for us today. It says this, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Sumeria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they, they went. Verse 4, I want to specifically highlight for us today. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay, so as way of reminder, here is what is happening. So, so far in Acts, what we've seen, right, is there, there's a new spirit-filled group of believers, aka the early church, the first church. And what we see and what we have seen is that they're living out their faith for the first time, not only together in community, but also uh, outside of the four walls, quote-unquote. Uh, quote so we see them living together in community as a church family, as well as how they live for and they tell others the good news of those uh, to them around them. So inside and outside the church, we get a window into the practices, rhythms, uh, and newly formed habits of the Christian church. And I hope that this has been as meaningful to you as it has been to me, specifically this season. Uh, for me, it's been such a tremendous help to get a blueprint for us to look at so that we can model for ourselves what the church is to be like. And especially during this COVID season, Acts and the example of the early church has been guiding and really forming for us as how we should act in this season, right, where we ourselves find ourselves uh, unable to meet in the traditional sense. Now we're in these house-to-house -house gatherings even today. And what the book of Acts has been, what the Word of God has been, it's, it's really grounded us. It's given us stability in the midst of so much instability. Right, that is the name of this season that we've been in. It feels like the, the world has turned over on itself and we really have felt that God has wanted to keep us verse by verse going through the book of Acts so that it could be a, a source of stability and guidance and anchoring. And uh, for a lot of us, it might have been the only constant it felt like we had the last few months that we knew we were going to gather around a computer screen or an iPhone or a TV every Sunday and get the book of Acts read to us. And it's really been an anchor to me, and I hope it's been an anchor to you. And I hope and pray that it will continue to be for us a guiding place and space and that the word of God would continue to form us into the image of God that, that he created us to walk in. And along with this beautiful and encouraging window into the church that we have gotten, 
We have seen and studied uh, the, the fair share of persecution that these Christians have encountered as they've attempted to live out their faith in a public manner. Right? We've seen that they've been persecuted for telling and showing others the good news of Jesus. They've been questioned. Uh, they've been arrested. They've been put on trial. They've been beaten all the way up to last week, seen for the first time Stephen was put to death, the very first martyr of the Christian faith. The gospel was so offensive. People were taking so much offense to the gospel to the point that they killed the first follower of Christ for it. And so intertwined with the beauty of this newly formed community, Right, their generosity and them sharing with each other and making sure no one had need among them. I mean, there's this beautiful, radical picture, this beautiful picture of this church community. Intertwined with that beauty of community, we've seen and will see that there is a sobering reality to the cost of following Jesus in the midst of a fallen and dark world. And where we pick up today is actually on the heels of Stephen's death, which happened to be um, the catalyst for a heavy amount of persecution to come upon and inflict the rest of these newly formed people and church. And if you remember last week and you saw it today, all of it was signed off and done by one that would be named the chief persecutor of the church. At this point, his name was Saul, but it would soon be renamed to Paul the Apostle in the next chapter after his miraculous conversion. And what we see here in the end of seven and the beginning of eight is not only do we get a picture into the dark period of Paul's life prior to being saved and redeemed, but also these verses at the start of chapter 8 show the effects and the changes that came upon the church due to the intense and widespread persecution that came upon these spirit-filled believers. But it's a window into a really bad time, a dark time, a hard time to follow Jesus. And what happens is, is the church right has been all together, and it's been beautiful. They've been in large gatherings and small gatherings. They've been uh, learning from the apostles and looking at the word of God, and the spirit of God has been using them in Jerusalem. But now the church is separated from doing life together. Persecution has separated that. And now they are scattered away from Jerusalem into surrounding regions. And I touched on this last week, but what might seem to be a very devastating blow to the church, right? As you read this, if you've been following along, the reason why it's been so good is because we've gotten an incredible picture of a church that's following hard after Christ. And so when you see the church scattered and persecuted and they're no longer together, you might think this is a devastating blow to the church, especially one that's fledgling and, and fragile and they haven't been doing this for that long and something like this might have been a death blow. I mean, and, and, and it might have been the end of it. 
But actually, it ends up being the very moment that they actually live out their Jesus-given mission of taking the good news to the whole world. Peter's death, this really low, dark part of the church, is actually the catalyst. Now they are scattered, and now the mission of God to bring the good news of God to all peoples has started. It's lit. The fuse is lit that would change the entire world. And if you remember, just prior to this, not long ago, prior to Jesus' ascension to heaven, two times Jesus gathered his followers and he commissions them. He commissions them with the task to be witnesses and to make disciples to the whole world. Right? We see this in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We see this in Acts 1.8, the beginning of Acts. The people of God, the followers of God, the disciples of God are given a task to take the gospel to the whole world. Not just in their own, their own hometown, in their homeland, with their own people, but that the gospel would be carried by the church outside the borders and safety of Israel into the nations and into the many different people groups of the world. Again, intertwined with this monumental task, even though Jesus would leave them shortly after giving it to them, guys, this is yours. It's my time to go to the Father now. I've died, I've rose again, now I'm ascending to heaven. Even though Jesus would leave them shortly after giving them this task, they would not be doing this task alone. Right, shortly after the Great Commission in chapter 1 of Acts, we see in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit would fall and fill the church to be empowered to do this very thing. And please don't see this as their task and their story. We would be misreading and misunderstanding if we thought it was just this group of people's task and it was their mission and it was their story. No, no, this is God's task and this is his story that we're also invited into. This isn't merely just an ancient Middle Eastern Bible study, that, uh, Bible story that is set in time and lost in time, what is happening on the very pages of Scripture in Acts is to be and should be lived out for us as well in our hometown, in our homeland, with our own people, as well as move beyond that. And that we also would be a part of taking the good news to all peoples from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It may be only one verse, and it may be a few verses that we're looking at today, but this moment is pivotal in the church. This is make or break. Will they continue to carry on the mission of God or not, or will the church die right here and right now? And there's really three points I want to make and hopefully help stick with us that I believe is for us today. Number one, if you're taking notes, that we would be a church that's resilient in the face of trials. That we would also see, number two, that we would see every situation as an opportunity to share the gospel. And number three, 
the gospel delivery matters. I'll run that over again. Number one, what we'll see and what I want us to get is to be resilient in the face of trials. Number two, to see every situation as an opportunity to share the gospel. And number three, the gospel delivery matters. So resilience, opportunity, and delivery. Let me explain. So number one, resilient in the face of trials. So a question, rhetorical, but how, how did the early church respond when they encountered heavy, saddening, and continued persecution? Well, look at chapter 8, verse 4. What happened? What does it say? Those who had been scattered because of persecution preached the word wherever they went. What that tells me is that they carried on the mission, right? Despite the obstacles, the changes, the challenges, they had a resilience to adapt to their circumstances and carry on in the face of trials. In their case, it was deadly trials. It wasn't just uncomfort. It wasn't just losing friends or losing your reputation. I mean, this was like people were getting killed over this. And again, they could have easily thrown in the towel. Right? They might have been so disrupted by the abrupt change to this awesome church and, you know, in fear of what would happen to them, that the Christian movement and the church could have ended right then and right there. This was a very pivotal time. This could have been the end of the story, but it wasn't. It wasn't the end of the story. And once again, I want to remind us, primarily, it wasn't, it's, because they, it's not because they were superhuman Christians, Trust me, they weren't. They were super flawed and there was nothing special about them. But rather, the reason why the gospel continued to go forth is because God is the one who is immovable. His plans will not be thwarted by the plans of man. His kingdom will carry on. And the reason in this case the church was resilient is that they were connected. They were in loving union. They were in relationship with God. And more importantly, they were desperate for God. They wouldn't go anywhere without praying about it and asking for his strength and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. This was not like we're just a strong people and we need to pull up our bootstraps and we can't show our weaknesses. They were very aware of their weaknesses, actually. They were very aware of their shortcomings and they had the humility and understanding to know, I can't do any of this, but God in me can. If you remember, they took to heart. Jesus said, this is your task, but don't go anywhere or do anything until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. Church, like speaking for us, when I hear of you and talk to you and look back at these last few months of of this covid season i think uh, from what i've heard i'm so proud that you've done well um overall like i'm proud to say that you've 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 stayed close to jesus and adapted and still stayed the course on mission i mean for the most part and i love that i love that 
Like it's encouraging to me that you guys were able to adapt and um, you're able to still love the Lord despite circumstances and be on mission. And um, I obviously know it's been super difficult and hard and we all haven't always done that. But I just want to say that overall, I'm, I'm so proud of you for adapting in the same way and being resilient. But this is a reminder for us that we're, like, we're not through this yet. Um, and God doesn't want us to give up or throw in the towel, but rather draw closer to him to gain strength and resilience by the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on. And this word is a reminder for us, um, is a reminder for me as it is much for you, that church, we cannot trust in our own ability. Like we have to lead out of desperation for God, for his strength to be able to persevere. Amen? Amen. Uh, point two, if you're with me, hope you're with me. I wouldn't know because I can't hear you. One day that'll change. But point two, they saw every situation as an opportunity to share the gospel. Right? Whether it was in the temple courts, when they were arrested, uh, to strangers, to family, or now, in our text today, it was in new cities and in new lands. What it says there is, they preached the word wherever they went. Right? And, and so many times, um, like I've, I've done this more times myself than I can count, and I've heard many of us say the same thing. We, we always pray, Lord, uh, would you give me a divine opportunity to share your word? Now, I understand the sentiment in that. Uh, and that there are times that feel better or that there are those God moments that we come across that is like that divine appointment, so to speak. Um, for sure. But I, I believe a better understanding or maybe a better way of thinking is that regardless if it feels good or it feels right or it feels like a God moment, every circumstance is an opportunity to preach Jesus. Like there's not a bad time. It might feel that way, but every opportunity and every circumstance in our life is an opportunity to preach Jesus. And I want to clarify this idea of preach here. Right here and in most places, it is this oral teaching or proclaiming or heralding the truth. Like I'm doing today, I'm preaching the gospel in this setting. But it's not limited to that. Right? The way in which the lost come home and people's eyes are open to Jesus is not only by our words, but it's also by our deeds. It's very important that we pick up on that. The Bible talks about it a lot. For instance, like James, the book of James would say, our deeds give validity actually to our words. Like that's what gives genuineness and validity to the things we say is actually our actions. Do we live that out? Are we doing it for ourselves? But also, Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, he would exhort his followers in Matthew chapter 5, actually, that we would let our deeds shine before men so that they might see our good works and in turn glorify our Father who is in heaven. So the way in which we live our life, in the way in which we respond and act and our priorities and the way we treat people is actually a form of preaching. 
Maybe not in the same oral way that it's here, but when, when, when it says to preach Jesus or they preach the word, it wasn't only in the very narrow idea of preaching that we might think. And I actually tried to think about this and do a little exercise myself this week. Um, as I was kind of running around and doing errands, whether that's the bank or go to Costco or kind of whenever I'm interacting with anyone, I tried to think, okay, when I go into that store or when I see someone, what would it be like to preach Jesus to them? But I prepared myself. I thought about it. And I was ready. And what happened was is it actually did change the way that I went about my shopping experience in Costco, for say. Like, I was mindful of my actions and uh, how I treated people and, you know, all, with all the social distancing and waiting in lines. And, like, you, I, I was more mindful to, to have grace and let people go and be patient because I was trying to, to give myself my own exercise for the sermon this week of, do I really see that every circumstance is an opportunity to preach the gospel? Do I? And so it was, it was actually really fun and challenging and good. And to be honest, I don't have any, um, like, really cool things to share. Like, I don't know if I left you hanging there. But it's not like all of a sudden I did. But what it did do is it helped me view situations like the early church did. Like, it made me view situations like the church did in that it, it, every circumstance I walked in, was an opportunity to share the gospel. And again, church, I'm hearing really cool things um, that you're doing. And it's really encouraging to me. If you have any praise reports, reports, I would love to hear them because the the main job usually of a pastor is hearing all the bad things, the critique. If you have praise reports this season, I would love to hear them. And thank you for the ones that I have heard. Like this house church season, you've brought unsaved neighbors and people you know into your homes. Um, the way in which you've shopped for your neighbors and gone out of your way to love them. You have really attempted to preach Jesus to those around you. And I am so encouraged that so many of you have. But as really difficult seasons come and topics come and, and social issues happen, it may be right, really hard and confronting. It may be confusing. It may not be clear how to preach Jesus into that situation. But in addition of asking the Lord, give me an opportunity. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying stop praying, pray, stop praying for divine opportunities. But I just want us to know that actually everything is an opportunity to preach Jesus. It doesn't have to just be only with our words, but it can be with our actions. And I believe that if we think of life that way, we don't compartmentalize our faith, but we actually think about that, that every circumstance is an opportunity to share the gospel. I think it'll keep us more engaged in the mission of God, and it will bear much fruit, rather than maybe always waiting. Because I think that's maybe the posture of a lot of us is that we just kind of are waiting for an opportunity or even praying for an opportunity. And the opportunities are ripe. They're all around us. Everyone needs to know about Jesus. And so, again, 
the reason why I'm camping out in this one verse is that despite all that happened, what did the early church do? How did they respond? They preached Jesus wherever they went. That's what it says there. And as a pastor and fellow Christian, as your, your brother in Christ, I want to add what I believe is a helpful and possibly overlooked part of the gospel preaching and sharing process, right? So we just talked about, um, you know, let's be resilient and let's continue to preach the gospel. But I do think, in my number three point, the delivery of the sharing or the showing or the preaching of the gospel matters. I, I do think it really does. Again, if I was to take a poll and ask, uh, for the most part, how all of us came to know Jesus, whether that's our first introduction to Jesus or our final decision to make him Lord of our life, if I took that poll and asked you, I bet a large portion or even the majority would, uh, would say that it was through a relationship that you had with a friend or a family member or uh, a co-worker. I, 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 it was probably a relationship that you had that ultimately brought you to know Jesus. And I believe the most effective method of gospel preaching or sharing is done in a relational way. Again, this may be obvious, but most executions of this as Christians to non-Christians are not done in this way. So many of us, we get so wrapped up in the actual truth and our own tenets and beliefs, that it becomes more important than the delivery itself. We don't give enough attention to the delivery, we just give attention to the truth. And unfortunately, most of the time, when we aren't mindful of how it is that we're communicating these truths, it not only turns off the listener, but in some cases, it shuts the door for any further listening. Guys, I cannot even describe how many times I've had to do cleanup, unfortunately, from either non-believers or friends. They're so turned off by Jesus, not by Jesus so much, but by the person and how they handled it and how they went about it. The delivery of the gospel matters. And this is what we have to remember, right? The news that we are delivering about Jesus in itself is confronting. And it can be offensive to people. Like the Bible tells us clearly that even just the truth of it, not even the delivery, but the truth of it is hard to swallow. It's hard, it's, a, it's offensive, it's confronting. Again, because it is disrupting the entire worldview, an entire life, the understanding of God and this life and eternity. I mean, there's a lot of things that are confronting just about the gospel. We know that. So many of us, our stories is we had a hard time actually coming to faith because it changed everything. And so knowing the package that we're carrying is already possibly going to offend the person. 
we should be extra careful and mindful and self-aware of how we present it. I don't know if that's obvious, but I, I don't think it is for many of us. And it, again, it's one thing if people reject the truth for the truth itself. But it's another thing entirely if they reject the truth due to how the truth was presented. Do you see the difference? Like something wonderful can be avoided. Or I mean, something that could be wonderful that we mess up in the delivery could be avoided if we're just aware of, of the, the delivery, the delivery of the gospel preaching and sharing matters. Like it is important that we're nice and kind and loving and caring and sensitive and self-aware when we do it. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't overthink this and think it has to be perfect because then you won't do it at all. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But what I want to do is I think we should give thought and prayer to how we come off as we live and preach Jesus. I think that's really important. And the reason why I'm harping on this um, a lot right now is because here in Hawaii, I think culturally, we are so relational. Right, Coming here, so much of what I wanted to do, moved here a few years ago now, and so much of what I wanted to do is just to watch and observe and study and learn how things worked how people worked in culture and um, very different than obviously the mainland. You know that. But what I did and what I continue to do is to learn how, how things work and if there's patterns or commonalities or learn um, social norms. And we all know the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's not what you know and it's who you know. It's who you know. And that is so true here. <laughs> that is like so true. And again, not in the sense of knowing someone like famous or influential to get something, but rather just society in Hawaii is run off of relationships. It's highly relational, right? Everyone uh, knows someone who does that or knows someone who does or, or has, or there's a cousin or a neighbor or an auntie or uncle. There's like one degree of separation here in Hawaii. And even though there may be a million people, it feels like there's about 10,000. Because of that, so relational. We know somebody that knows somebody. We're all connected. And I believe that's where like the small town island feels come from, comes from, and, and I actually love it. I love it. I'm kind of from small towns also, so I love that sense of being relational, relational and knowing people. That said relationships carry with it an open ear and an open door. Again, because in Hawaii, there is such deep loyalty and care that comes with relationships that people are willing to listen to what you say probably more than anywhere else if you have a relationship with them. There's a lot that comes in a relationship. There's an open ear and an open door. That said, I believe that we here that call Hawaii home have an incredible opportunity to see the, the spread of the gospel here more than anywhere. But in that, because it's so highly relational, 
and there's so much trust and loyalty that comes with those relationships, it's extremely important how our delivery is made to the person. Right? Being kind and loving and graceful and authentic and genuine in the delivery of the gospel really matters here. And that said, I, I wanna, I'll, I'll end with this. Church, despite the season that we're in and the hardships, despite the unknown length before we all get to gather again and things go back to what they were, Instead of just waiting for that, because I think a lot of us are, we're just waiting for this season to end. I want to encourage us to, instead of just waiting, to actually join in praying that we would be a church that would be resilient in the face of trials, that we would see every situation as an opportunity to share the gospel, and that we would be aware and loving and relational with the gospel delivery. So I want to encourage you um, before you kind of leave the home that you're in right now, after worship, after service is done, I want to encourage you to do this in your house churches right now, that you would pray these things for each other. I want to encourage all our Ohana groups as you gather this week, as you meet up, as you talk, that you would take time to pray over these things, that you would apply it through prayer and through discussion about being resilient, about taking every situation as an opportunity for the gospel, and that we would become a people that lovingly and gracefully delivers the gospel with our life and with our words. And so during worship right now, as we enter into a few more musical songs I want to encourage us to praise God for who he is and what he's done because he's worthy of it. That in our homes that we would exalt his name and exalt who he is above every name and ideology and, and power. That we would exalt him and praise him now. And also I'd love for you to take communion along with uh, the, the church right now in your homes. That you'd get bread or crackers or juice or wine and that you would take it. You take the bread and you take the juice or whatever you have and you do it in remembrance of the cross, in remembrance of who God is and what Jesus did for us on the cross and it would effectively put our eyes to, on Jesus right now, put the attention on Jesus. Church, I love you. Um, I encourage you to engage in worship right now and stick around at the end for a few more words. Uh, but once again, Dad's Father's Day, we love you praying for you, and hope you have a wonderful day today. God, thank you. Thank you for this time that we have together. We do rejoice in this house church season that you have us in because it keeps us desperate. It keeps us dependent. We don't get to be comfortable this season. And what I pray is that that would help us to press into you rather than pull apart. I do pray, Lord, that we would be a church that is resilient to the current season that we're in, that we would be strengthened by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that we would continue to carry on the mission of preaching Jesus wherever we go. God, would you do that? Would you make us a people after your own heart for your own purposes? Thank you that you involve us in your story. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.